0: Hey School Success Makers, today we're joined by my friend Dr. Toby Travis out of the great state of North Carolina. You guys are in for a treat today. This guy is a blast. He's super duper educated, has a great background in education, is a published author, and is just a delight to talk to. So you guys will enjoy this one, so please enjoy this next episode of the School Success Podcast. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the School Success Podcast. I'm your host, Mitchell Slater, joined by a brand new friend out of Fayetteville, North Carolina, Dr. Toby Travis. He is currently the superintendent of Village Christian Academy, as well as the executive consultant for Global School Consulting Group. He is a published author. He's been mentioned in Forbes three times here in the last six months. He's doing some super awesome things in education, and he's leading an amazing school, and I was like, I have to have this guy on. He's a great personality and obviously loves the next generation that's coming up behind us. So I won't uh, take any more thunder away from him. I'll pass it off to him to introduce himself. So Dr. Toby Travis, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi, Mitchell. Great to be here. You already introduced me. I have a, (laughs) a little more to add there, but thank you for the opportunity and the conversation. And please call me Toby.
0: All right. You got it, Toby. Well, welcome to the podcast. And I always love to start off by learning a little bit about where that person lives and what is fun to do there. If I was ever to visit you, what would we do? What would be something fun we do in Fayetteville, North Carolina?
1: Well, it kind of depends on the time of year, but uh, one of our favorite things at this time of year, we've got a local ball team, which is a feeder team, actually, I think for the Houston Astros. uh, But we have a new baseball stadium, well, new right before the pandemic. Actually, we've only been here, Mitchell, since uh, late 2019. We moved to, to Fayetteville. But this time of year, now I love going down to the ballpark. I love just the experience of that. It's a great family outing, and enjoy the game and the activities. And uh, so that's the, that's probably you know first recommendation is if, if yeah if you come to visit, let's go see a ball game. and All right, we'll do that. And of course, this is home to Fort Bragg, which is Army headquarters. Uh, there are some great museums here in town. So 85th Airborne, of course, is based here, and there's a museum dedicated to them. So there's you no know, there's that those types of touristy sort of things but they're really really great exhibits to experience there's good trails and and all of that and of course we're, we're only two hours from the beach so that's often as an escape here as well yeah come to we well very show good you.
0: very good i know i drive very very close to it or if not through it when i go visit my in-laws that are in durham north carolina I'm pretty
1: Either go through it. off the 95. Yeah,
0: okay. So that's no. why I thought because I remember seeing signs for Fayetteville and we we're going up 95. And uh, but I've never truly been. I don't think through it, but I know I have a ton of friends that have been stationed there before at Fort Bragg. And well, so- seriously,
1: Mitchell, and any of your listeners that are coming through, we are just minutes off the 95. If you want to come visit the campus, interact, see what we're doing here, love to have you. Just you know, shoot me a note, and always welcome to do that.
0: Perfect. Love it. Well. Let's dive into the, your school a little bit. before we dive into the nitty gritty, let's just hear about how long you've been at your school. And I mean, we can do both at this time. So kind of your consulting side of it, maybe we actually start with that and then dive into the school. So let's maybe do that. Let's go dive into the consulting side and what you, guys, what you do there and how you help schools.
1: Well, I began kind of my ed career in international schools, international Christian school actually in, in Quito, Ecuador and had the opportunity and to be mentored by just one of the most amazing gentlemen, Dr. David Wells. And David actually introduced me to consulting work, and we were working at that time with a group called Paideia. You may be familiar with the writings of Dr. Bruce Lockerbie. Bruce founded Paideia, and he really mentored David, and David mentored me. And Actually, I was just with Bruce this last week at the Best Practices Conference in Pasadena that Wheaton Academy sponsors, and uh, you know, Bruce is like the, the Dean of Christian Education. But it was David's mentorship that introduced me to that. And I had, I had been a trainer and a speaker and a presenter and a seminar leader for many, many years. I've worn quite a number of hats over the decades, but then as was led into, especially, you know, Christian education, these opportunities began to develop and also part of it Mitchell was my passion, which really honed in when i started my doctoral work it's like okay what unique element can i focus on that will have value not only to myself but to others was this whole concept of assessing trust levels in leadership and how to continually improve it and significance of that and i know we're going to talk more about that later but anyway all that to say is started consulting work you know umpteen years ago and have had the opportunity now over these years to mentor and walk alongside school leaders and school boards literally around the world that's been a real real honor and uh, have a real passion especially for schools in distressed and developing areas i currently have schools that i work with in haiti and the dominican republic and honduras and uh, worked for with a school in vietnam for about a year Uh, My work here, uh, so I've been a school uh, head or school leader in uh, four different campuses over the years now. My current post, as you mentioned at at the top, is is superintendent, which is really head of school uh, for Village Christian Academy. We have uh, preschool through 12th grade, about 660 kids total. And so we get a preschool, elementary, middle and high school. The school is actually, we're coming into our 25th anniversary. It'll be next year. And so we're kind of gearing up for this this anniversary. The school is like, you know, many schools has kind of had its ups and downs. We are actually experiencing a great deal of blessing right now and very healthy growth and retention of some wonderful and great staff. I came here in 2019. And so just wrapped up my third commencement a few weeks ago. And uh, yeah, so that's, uh, um, before that I was in Arizona. So we moved here from from Tucson, Arizona.
0: Well, congratulations on its upcoming 25 years of the school. That's a huge milestone. I'm sure it's exciting being since, you guys have been around since the 1900s, you know, all those, all the way back then. So that's pretty cool.
1: <laughs> well, when I was at Alliance Academy in Quito, Ecuador, I was actually there while we celebrated our 85th anniversary and that's been years ago now so they're pushing their 95th i mean they were the second oldest private school in latin america Oh um, yeah, yeah that would talk about a lot of heritage there's a, a lot and of i know this
0: could now. quickly get us off course but i'm just really curious what how different are these other schools outside of the united states from our schools here in the U.S.? is it similar like if a kid from the united states walked into one of those schools would it feel the same as structure and the subjects, subject matter.
1: In the schools that I worked with, yes. You know, for example, the Alliance Academy also accredited by ACSI and Cognia or what used to be advanced (laughs) ed. Which used to be SACS, right? You know, Southern Association of Colleges and Schools. It has changed its name, but it's the same accreditation, be the same framework. Was an AP school. We even had dual enrollment opportunities with the University of Northwestern and Saint Paul. So, you know, there were a lot of that. The international school, the other one that I worked with, which was not a faith-based school, uh, that one still it would feel very much like a, a, a quality school here in the states because it was all U.S. based curriculum for the most part and in English was the primary language so yes what it felt like day to day though you know like at alliance but by the, by the time I left and we saw record enrollment which was really uh, a great encouragement while I was there we had 32 nationalities on campus wow. I mean it in fact I, I had been in international missions for years prior to that and I used to say well I am still in international missions it just comes to me you know, I'm not on the road anymore. It's like International Missions walks through the doors of the campus every day. And it was true. So, you know, so the, what it looked like may look different than what some folks experience, depending on where their school is here in the States.
0: Okay. Great. Cool. That's a random right hook question I gave you there. So now being a consultant, being head of school, you know, slash superintendent, you will be able to add a lot of good feedback and information on this. So we're diving into like challenges. So. I want to hear kind of some current challenges maybe you guys are up against there at your school currently and how you guys are combating those. And with that, if we can also add into the mix, maybe you've seen some challenges in the consulting work you've done with schools and some of those challenges that they've been up against that maybe you guys don't currently deal with at your current school. Sure.
1: One of the main reasons or challenges that the school had been facing before I came, and it's also maybe one of the main reasons why schools reach out to me as a consultant because of kind of my niche of expertise, was the school had gone through really a public relations nightmare. (laughs) And there's probably more information available than what anybody cares and wishes was, you know, if you do your little you know, Google search and look at reviews from some years back, there were, you know, just some drama went on here. The school lost a football program out of it and about a hundred students left the campus. And so, you know, there was an enrollment hit, there was a program hit there in public relations, took a dive, trust levels took a dive. And and so when the school approached me to consider coming here and I looked at, okay, because, you know, part of what I look at when I'm considering you know, moving and taking on a new school is, can I really help? And it really depends on the needs of the school. You know, some schools are well-established, they're they're rocking and rolling, but they need a head who can go raise millions of dollars to keep things rocking and rolling. Well, that wasn't the need here. The need here really was to kind of get their confidence back and to get reestablished as, no, we are a quality school. We know what we're doing and build that community trust as well as internal trust, I would say and so that really it's a more common theme than maybe we're even aware of that you know schools really their success is built on word of mouth i mean we've seen numerous studies that have show the number one factor in admission referrals and why people come into a school to check it out it's all it's word of mouth it's not about billboards it's not even about niche ratings and that sort of thing although that's important and valuable That's all word of mouth. And so how do you fix that? Well, you have to come in and start making good decisions. You need to start making kind of promises, if you will, and keeping them and you need to increase communication, you need to be transparent, you need to be accessible. And wow, what challenges there were and opportunities I would argue as well during COVID for all that to get better. But that was the situation here and it is getting better. And i just very, very thankful for the work that our team is doing in being very intentional in assessing our trust levels as leaders, looking at the data and taking it to heart, you know, looking in the mirror And understanding, yeah, I need to improve in this. And then uh, action planning, what are we going to do about it? And it does get better. And what you find is when that trust level increases in leadership, then it's almost like magic, Mitchell. All kinds of other good things start happening. Teachers stay, Hmm. you know, retention rates go up. Not only do more students come and, and you see enrollment go up, you actually see achievement levels go up. Students perform better in highly trusted environments. Behavior management issues go down. Hmm. Right? Parent and community volunteerism, what they call discretionary energy contributions. So you know whether it's volunteerism or, or making physical donations, all of that goes up. And we've certainly experienced that over the last three years. We've just seen all of those indicators of how we measure school success just getting better and better. But it doesn't happen quickly. It's not just flip a switch. It's all about being intentional and consistently developing it. And this is true not just here, but in every school.
0: Man, and you were brought in then does it sound like when that school was going through that hard time a few years ago Were you brought in to kind of weather that and bring it back from that issue? And that was the hope. <laughs> it sounds like it's been a, it's happened though, right? Well,
1: it's, it's going great. It's and it's not just me though. And that's why I, I wouldn't be a little bit hesitant to answer your question that way. You know, I'm very thankful, but we have got a great our teachers are just amazing. And uh, my the administrators I get to work with here. No, we we've got a phenomenal team. I have full confidence in what they're doing. And like every school, we have weaknesses, we've got areas for improvement. And we just went through our accreditation cycle again, and yeah, we've identified some areas as well as the accreditors, have identified some areas that confirmed what we thought about ourselves even no yes we know we've we've got improvements to make but as far as work and learning environment and what it feels like and you know people want to be here and and that's that's just real encouraging
0: good and for your consulting side have you seen one thing pop up more than any other when you've consulted with some other schools that is a common problem. If there's, I mean, maybe it's the same one you just mentioned, but a common one that's come up from other schools that you've been able to help.
1: Absolutely. And really there's two and they're kind of interconnected. And one actually, talk about this one first, because you just really kind of inferred it. The first problem is it's not about a single leader. So when boards get in their mind, oh, we just got to hire the right charismatic person to come in and change this place and be, you know, this, you know, doing it's so funny. If you look at, so recruitment, groups, or even schools that are advertising for a new head of school, they'll publish these profiles. And you read these profiles, it's like, wow, this guy or gal has got to be Superman or superwoman. It's like, there's no one that has all these skill sets. You know, they have all these high expectations of what the super leader is going to do. It's a mistake. The critical thing that you want to look for in your chief executive or your head of school is, are they team builders? And are they team players? You know, read Jim Collins, Good to Great, which has become, you know, it's a classic, but what he talks about level five leadership and which means you've got to have all the other levels first before you get to level five. But that level five leadership, what we see in the best of leaders that are really producing great results rather than just good results is they know it's all about a team. It's not about them. They're humble. They are servant leaders, right, is the very popular term that we use today. So what's what's a common problem and frequent problem that we see in schools? The schools trying to fix their problems through, oh, we just gotta hire the right person. Mm, no, you need to hire the right persons. You need a team to do this. Secondly, is you need to be assessing those leaders and their trust levels. And if you're not taking the time to assess those trust levels, and then build improvement plans based on developing your leaders, nothing else is gonna work. One of the stats, and I think maybe we even talked about it in our earlier phone call or Zoom, there is a stat that has stayed true literally for decades now, and it just doesn't move. And it's this, 70% of school initiatives fail. This is why teachers get frustrated with, oh, we're always trying something new. Yeah, we are, and it fails most of the time and if you dig in and you look at okay what what what's the answer what's going on here why are 70% failing well what the literature shows us it's they fail because of execution and then you well what is it about the execution of these initiatives it's leadership failures mm-hmm. So either, you know, either leaders weren't involved or didn't own the change or they didn't manage the change or the, the improvement initiative within a voice from employees. I mean, there's all kinds of elements to it, but they are all leadership and trust issues and schools that don't take time to first ensure you've got high levels of trust between your school administrators and your employees, your teachers, your faculty, your staff. If you don't take the time to make sure that's rock solid, it doesn't matter what new initiative you're gonna try, it's not gonna fly.
0: Mm. Have you ever consulted with a school that you came in and they have a great leader, but there's some teachers that are are messing with the culture and like it's not and they're not gonna be there for the long term, like they're not gonna actually see it through that you've had, hey, I know it's hard to find teachers but them two over there they you got to let them go cuz they aren't going to let you get to where you need to go.
1: I just had this conversation yesterday and uh, one of the tools that I recommend the schools use okay. annually is the parent and employee opinion survey that's put up by school right and i don't get paid for doing commercials it's a great tool and it's norm-based what i, I love about it as well is it you know it's not just uh, well they know the right questions to ask and how to ask them so it's a professional survey tool but it also you get norm data to see how are you doing in comparison to how other schools you know using the same tool anyway as part of that parent and employee opinion survey there's something called the net promoter score uh, which you're probably familiar with. I mean, businesses use it all the time. You, you know, when you're in, in the dentist, uh, sometimes they'll even have a, you know, you push a button that, you know, with a smiley face and really what they're, they're getting is data for their net promoter score. Well, then in, in the net promoter score, it will identify, uh, what it calls detractors. And in just yesterday, you know, talking with these school leaders and this wasn't a very big school. I mean, it's relatively small. But they've got a percentage of detractors on staff who yeah, just are not on board. And what the literature or what the research has shown us is if you have an employee who's in the detractor category, they are unmovable. Mm. You know, now we want to you know, you know, from a Christian perspective, we guess, well, everybody's redeemable. Yes, they are. Jesus loves them, absolutely. But what the research has shown us is if somebody is in that detractor category, I mean, they are the disgruntled employee Very, very, very rare, almost impossible to see them get to passive. The three categories are detractor, passive, and promoter. And, and what you want to focus on are your promoters. This is how you grow and develop organizations and schools is mobilizing those promoters because the passives will follow. And so you got to watch that percentage of detractors and you want to keep that as, as small as possible and really right, Even in light of an employment crisis and teacher shortages you are better off to figure out how well the expression i've used before is help them find their happiness and right? mm. they're obviously not happy here so help them find their happiness somewhere else again uh, unfortunately the, the research shows us it is not fixable ouch it's ouch. all about mission alignment mitchell right you've got to have people who really believe in the mission that they are on board, that they share values and they share your current priorities. And if they don't, you know, that we can't share mission, values, priorities, we're in the wrong place. Go find your happiness.
0: Man. And I have two cool sort of semi-stories I'll share to go off of that a little bit. So the church we go to here in here in Florida, it's, we're, we go to, I mean, I'm all sugar-coated. It is a mega church. It's like 10, 12 campuses. And we're at one of the, not even the main campus, we're at a what, really big one. And I look at our leader, our pastor, there's Pastor Travis O'Neill, and he has built a team around him. So he's a campus pastor of ours. He doesn't actually do the, it's weird setup. I get it for some people I know he's not, doesn't preach every week. He is just the pastor. It's all televised from the main campus and everything, which is hard to get used to when we first went there, but we love it now. And he has built just an incredible team around this church body that love him and love where he's wanting, like where everything's supposed to go. And you can feel it. Like you go in there and you talk to anybody who's on staff or any volunteer, cause I volunteer there and I'm like, I love this man so much. And I love where his vision I have bought into that, but you can tell, cause there's been a couple duds through my time of volunteering. I was like that person, I don't feel it from them. I don't know if they're bought in on the whole vision of where we're going. And they ended up not getting fired. They're just like, they didn't mesh and they felt it and they left and went somewhere else. And it's just interesting that you gotta be really careful. Cause some one person can come and kind of just, not make make it uncomfortable kind of right. to be in and you're like oh this is weird now granted that's a church so you have to be obviously you know really careful
1: well and again kind of back to what does the literature show us if you have a if anything close to a double digit of detractors so if you had 10 percent of your staff are detractors woo, you're you're in a toxic envi- environment and again that that you just can't fix that. So it really comes down to HR. One of the practices that I I talk about in the book and that I use with clients all the time is make sure you're doing stay interviews. And what that looks like is you are meeting with every employee at least three times a year for a short amount of time. And, you know, we, we, we all know what exit interviews look like. And to me, it's like, what's too late, (laughs) you know, it's (laughs) important to get, okay, you know, what, you know, why are people leaving? And that it is important, but really what's far more important is you want to be doing stay interviews, you know, and get a barometer on how things are going, what are their needs, always giving them time to reflect on your leadership. And I just finished one today with one of our, our directors actually, and I, was, you know, I did her interview or her review, but at the end, I always push it back and I say, okay, let's flip the pancake. How's your boss doing? Talk to me. What can I be doing better to support you? and you need those conversations. But you've got to keep, and you keep those conversations going and see where your people are at. Really important for the health of the organization.
0: What would stop you from doing more than three? So I don't see, that's a huge time commitment. We talk about how many staff, like how many staff do you guys have at the school?
1: Oh, uh, it's about 103, including the preschool staff, I think. Yeah,
0: I yeah, so that's big. Okay, so I get it now when you say it that way, because I have 12, I like, work on, you know, with well, on my team.
1: right, and, and I am talking about you meeting with your direct reports. So, Red, right, I've got nine direct reports. Okay. So, how many am I personally meeting with? Yeah, well, I'm only meeting with nine. Got it, got it. Okay. No, I meet with them, and, of course, like my principals, we meet. All the time, right? Yeah. But even as far as a one-on-one, intentional, and in the state interviews, we usually pull out the job description. You know, how are these things? Because the job description really becomes the evaluation form at the end of the year. So, how are these things? What are you really doing? These things? Is there anything on here that you think somebody else ought to be doing? You know, we're constantly that should be a living document. So that's kind of the focus of what we, those meetings are talking about. But the you know the uh, undercurrent, if you will, the the situational awareness piece that's going on is you're really just getting a feel for how are they doing?
0: Yeah. And I love that. And and anybody who's listening, I would, if you're not doing that, add that to your mix. I think that there's so much value there. I do it internally with my team of, again, 12 people, but we do something, we call it coffee talks. And every month, we used to do it every two weeks. And then as we grew, we were getting bigger. I was getting kind of crazy to have it every two weeks. So once a month, we have a coffee talk, one-on-one with everybody on the team. And it's, we tell everybody it's your time. It's not my time. Yeah. And like, we ask them, Hey, how you doing? What's new? What? how's your kids? How's your family? How's work? Like we want to know, we want to use that time. It's we're very transparent. Are there things that we can do better for you to serve you better? And it's been good because things will come up or they'll just talk about, Oh, my their cat or whatever's going on in their life. But I, you know, we have a very, very high retention rate in our company in terms of employees, again, only 12, but people, we want people to feel loved and appreciated and know that we don't want to lose them and, and we want to find issues if there are quickly so we can squash it and get it done and taken care of. So we don't have an exit interview later with something that happened. So I I hope everybody's listening and we'll incorporate that in some capacity, just like Toby was saying, I love that very, very much. I wanted to take that and segue into things that are going really, really good. So again, same thing with this one, two pieces. So what's going really good at your school and also if you have any side things that you've picked up from other schools in your consulting side you're like hey man i saw this school over here in this country or this state doing this and that's really really cool and unique i'd want to share
1: oh there, there's just there's so many good things that are going on one of the things that i've been really well uh, an observation i have seen both the kind of the negative and the and the positive with what's been happening with private high schools across the nation, is there's been a lot of uh, private school high schools, especially that have been struggling. And, and we've been watching those, those numbers for years now. And, and the exceptions, so then you're like, okay, what are the exceptions and why are they why are they flourishing? The exceptions are flourishing because they have figured out they have to be more student-centered in their offerings. You know, it used to be, we would say, okay, well, this is our curriculum, this is what our program is, and we would fit kids into that curriculum box, right, and kick them through, and you hope the majority of them make it successfully. Well, that model of education is, Gene Frost, I was just in a session with him, was saying, the era of the common school is dead, and I think he's absolutely right. So one of the great things I see here, and it's really been the the work of our secondary principal and his team that I've been fully endorsing it and love to see it. We currently have six pathways, career pathways for our high school students. We have four distinct diplomas that they can pursue. We've got a robust partnership with a community college. A qualifying freshmen here will finish with an associate's degree when they graduate. And it's based on their aspirations, their passions. And so as much as we can be flexible to meet the needs and the desires of students, this is where you're gonna see kids being more engaged because you know, the whole secret to achievement levels, but all the student engage, engagement when kids find their own motivation boom, you know you, you get higher higher levels of achievement so that's that's one of the really good things that i'm seeing that's happening here and i've seen this happening in
0: other schools as well awesome awesome well i mean you guys are as a school you've been growing so i mean obviously that's a huge piece your teacher retention it sounds like is really really good have you guys had to hire this summer for new roles and if so and again i'm throwing the curveball at you again how has that gone because the guests i've had a lot of them are trying to hire a lot of them are I had a, a cl- one of our clients just yesterday, but her and I were supposed to have a call together and she's like, I can't, I just had two people who were supposed to come in for interviews, cancel on me. And I got to fill in a classroom because two teachers called out sick. Like she's trying to find people. Right. Are you guys running into that same thing? Or you've been finding that it's really easy to get teachers to come in?
1: Uh, well, it's never been easy. I have been talking about the teacher shortage for years. And you can, again, you can go look at the data in the reports. Our education programs in colleges and universities have been graduating fewer and fewer and fewer and fewer Mm -hmm. teachers. Our school administrator programs have been graduating fewer and fewer administrators. This is why you see so many states have got programs where second career people can transition over and in without a traditional background or training in education It's because of this employment shortage. And of course the pandemic has just exacerbated that problem immensely. So I've been talking about that for years. Here in my school, our team, we made a set goal that we would just jump on this as fast as possible. So before the Christmas break last year, we sent out intent to return surveys to all of our current employees, asking for those to be returned as early as possible in January after the break and just to see, okay, where's everybody's intention so that we could launch our recruitment efforts, certainly no later than the end of January. And we were able to launch most of those by middle of January. And with the goal that we would have all of our teachers hired for the following year before spring break. It was kind of our timeline. And I'm very proud of our team. They knocked it out. Now, there is a caveat to this, which every school administrator tends to live even with those intent to return surveys and the best of planning, you get what we call the summer surprise, right? And it happened here too. We had a teacher who, a fantastic, great lady, but for personal reasons, you know, we we're a, what a week after school concluded and we think we're done, she turns into resignation. So we did have to scramble for fulfilling for one more role. But I do know, and I am in contact with lots of school administrators Yeah, know this is a really, really tough season. I believe it has been um, easier on the private school sector because many who are leaving the public school, you know are finding you know just the work environment, although the compensation it isn't as robust, but the work environment is just is so much more inviting in the private sector. But I pray constantly for my public school friends and I have public school administrators that are, are friends of mine. I don't know if you probably saw these figures that came out this last week. They're anticipating 380,000 vacancies in August, in the public sector. And yeah, just, oh my word, there is, this crisis is not over. This is just going to get worse and worse and worse. And so that's our kind of our state of the employment.
0: What do you think? What do you think on your outside looking in? What is the solution to that long-term for this, that in general? I mean, is, Obviously you mentioned less and less graduating as for every year, but what happens if that continues and we, there isn't enough teachers to fill all these roles at well, all,
1: there, there is a negative way to look at that. If you want to hold on to the past traditional way that we've looked at school. But you know we have all heard for years, even decades, that education is in need of reformation, right? And what kind of reform does it really need? But the system has been so controlling, so deep in the DNA of, um, of how the Americans, especially if we look at the Western example, how the American culture works really, really hard to create meaningful change. And so you could say, yeah, this is awful. It looks like it's collapsing. Again, as Jean Frost said, the, the common school is dead. It is dead. And all of the pillars that it supported, really the common school, the idea of a, a Judeo-Christian ethic, you know, the idea of, you know, we teach to a to a standard, and if kids don't make it, oh, well, kids don't make it. But, you, you know, you look at the majority, kind of that industrial mindset, you know, we're creating a workforce. But if you go ahead and let it die watch and see what god will do i mean where we look at countries that have turned this thing around basically what they have done is they have refit their educational system and you know you look at singapore you look at finland and i get it these are small countries and how do you scale that to the u.s culturally it's very different there was a there was a school district a few years ago this is probably two or three years ago now maybe longer when we were all talking about competency-based learning you might been around some of those conversations, but this was a school that was like, no, we are going to just focus on ensuring our kids are experiencing competency. We won't worry about grade levels and we won't worry about, you know, what it, you know date of manufacturing. So we won't organize kids by the date they were manufactured. We're going to put them in competency groups and see how the kids flourished. Mitchell, they did great. What fell apart was the social and and cultural constructs. Hmm. Because think about it in the, the, again, the DNA of American schools, wait, wait, we look forward to prom. Well, who gets to go to prom? Well, seniors, but maybe some juniors. Well, wait a minute, we don't have juniors and seniors in this system anymore. You know, there's no grade level. So, you know, those were the kind of problems that started to arise in that school system. And part of it is, yeah, we got to rethink how this works and what it looks like. So I, hesitant to prognosticate you know the demise of public education i am a supporter of public education so in the sense of do we need to make sure every child has the opportunity yes absolutely hmm. what that structure is going to look like uh, you know 37 states i think it is now have school choice initiatives i think that is part of the answer right there put the decision into the hands of those who are most responsible for those kids yeah. their parents yeah, And they will navigate what is best for their child most times. And I know there's exceptions to that as well, but yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to trust parents before I trust a government system.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I look at my, my wife and I, when we were pregnant with our little guy who's two now is we were looking at school options around, what did we want to do and we came across the form of teaching Montessori and we like really did a lot of research on Montessori and we're like. I feel like I've heard the name, but I didn't really know much about it. And we just kind of went all in on it. We're like, I really like this model. And so we, the kind of going off what you said about the different models, like their philosophy is the three ages in one group. And then you move up. And I was like, that's kind of weird. Like a, you know, a three-year-old is going to be with a a kindergartner, you know, five, six-year-old. And it was like, all right. But then we kind of watched some classroom, went to observe some classrooms and watched. And I was like, this is really cool. And it was like the older kids were helping the younger kids. The younger kids were looking up to the older kids and, and it wasn't like if you're a third grader you're with all third graders all day long well what are you going to act like a third grader you know it's because you're that's all you're with so it was like different philosophies that in my head it was like there's all i thought there was only one way and i mean i was homeschooled my whole life but there's so many different things of how to do it or ways to do it and we were just like i really like this model and how they do they just do a whole bunch of different things differently but the Plug, I was going to say, and I've mentioned this before in a few podcast episodes was, and this is the Christian putting on the Christian hat or whatever, is like our church had always said, the gospel never changes, but right. the way we do church is yeah. going to change. And yeah. I've always loved that because I take that right into the yeah. school sector, which is I've shared it with some clients and some guests is like, man, like teaching loving kids and treating kids with respect that's like obviously never going to change but the way we're going to operate and do school that has to change and obviously right. we're learning that the hard way in a way with the teacher shortage
1: right and unfortunately the still the majority of schools in the United States are operating on a system that was developed 100 years ago for an industrial age and and we don't live in that world anymore and and yeah, I'd encourage you too. Check out Reggio Emilia. There's another. Uh, you know, my wife is certified in that, and yeah, I mean, there are brilliant ways. I, mean, I think about what my parents and grandparents experienced in the in the schoolhouse. You know, they. Uh, my mom is still right up until I think she was eighth or ninth grade, and then she went to a consolidated school, but it was a one-room schoolhouse. And kids, all ages, and there's data on that I have read as well, where you look at what what we would refer to as what they call the vertical classroom, where you've got Mm -hmm. kids in all ages or many different ages of the same classroom, huge learning benefits Mm -hmm. uh, that go in there and huge life skill benefits that that go on in those environments, but we have been so conditioned because we grew up in this manufacturing model of education where we know we compartmentalize kids by their age which is as you know that where do we do that anywhere else in life right it just doesn't it doesn't it's not reality and so if kids can learn in an environment where no we've we've got kids at all different levels of course those are you talk about differentiation skills for teachers and that's also you know the challenge of that but
0: yeah yeah I think that was the key part what you just shared there was like, yeah, we don't do that anywhere else. Like, why, why are we doing yeah. it here? And I think a lot of times, again, I'm not, of course, speaking for all school leaders here, but I think sometimes we just don't give kids enough respect and credit for like, yes, they're kids that they should be making humongous life changing decisions as a six year old and 10 year old or whatever. Cause again, there's no prefrontal cortex that's fully there yet. I get the whole brain. I love the brain and learning about it, but, Kids can do some awesome things. I mean, I look at my little two year old guy, I love plugging with him. He's since one year old. We had a little kitchen helper and he has been helping me cook his eggs in the morning for scrambled eggs. He helps me cut things with an actual knife. Now, it's not like a, little, a literal metal blade, but he can cut fruits. I'm letting him do things that actually make him feel a part of the family and a part of what we do. And like, I, and he's two now, it's just crazy what he can do if you give him the opportunity. And I know that we can do that with schools as well, give the kids more opportunity to soar.
1: Well, and to kind of close the thought out though on the reform, it is gonna be painful though, Mitchell. And then that's gonna be the hard part of it is, is, as the systems are failing and will fail, I do believe there are answers and there are those who are gonna step up to meet that new future. And we'll have to be very, very careful, especially for those who are typically disenfranchised and at a disadvantage. And I believe from, especially, again, putting your Christian hat on, if you will, I like that expression. But, you know, as believers, even more important that we take the lead on making sure that the disadvantaged have the same advantage. And that's tough because now we're talking about money. It all costs money. You know, why do we organize schools the way we do and the way we have? Well, because it's cost effective. It may not be what's best for learning. And and that's, that's the whole struggle, right? Is you've got to find a cost-effective model that also meets the needs of all kids and that's where this gets really, really complex.
0: Man. Yeah. Well, I always like to to kind of wrap up and end the podcast with asking the guests to share a piece of wisdom or advice that you would give for any of the school leaders that are listening. And of course, with that. Please like plug, I want you to plug your consulting and your book. I want people to know about the book and how they can find it on Amazon, but kind of leading off with a piece of wisdom and advice as we kind of close it out.
1: I think two practices that have served me well, that I'm, whenever I'm mentoring another leader or working with my own team, I insist on it for them. One is never trying to address or solve a problem via electronic communication. So we don't use email for problems. We don't use text messages for dealing with problems. If a parent or an employee or a student sends me an email and says, Dr. Travis, the only response they're going to get is, hey, it sounds like we need to talk. I won't ask a clarifying question. I will not engage in the issue via electronic communication. And what I have found is people just, in our culture today, don't know how to behave with their thumbs or their fingers. But if you get them face to face, no, you can get to a solution much, much quicker. And it just helps the health and temperature. So actually in the schools that I lead, it's in our grievance policy. You may not submit an issue, via email. Now you can document it, you can write it up, but you need to come in and we need to talk face to face. And that has just helped tremendously with managing issues or problems. Another, which is similar that I mentor the leaders that I work with is never make an immediate decision. And certainly don't make a decision that impacts somebody with them in the room. So be open. Take as much time as you need to get as much details as you can make your decision slowly and don't make it. Don't get pressured to make a decision. Even though, yes, they may be urgent and you need to make a decision. Yeah, but be careful. I was burned in my early career, Mitchell, with trying to be responsive to people by giving them quick decisions. I even heard of a mentor who said, oh, you've got to make a decision, turn things around within 24 hours. No, I disagree fully. You want to make sure you've looked at every angle that you can there's always more than two sides to a story there's almost always four or five so take the time to get the information make good decisions don't be pressured to make a decision while someone's in the room thank them for their time make sure they have ample opportunity to share whatever they want to share with you make the commitment that you will be making a decision give them an approximate timeline but don't get pressured to make it in the moment and you will thank yourself later that you made a slow and careful and wise decision but those are a couple practices the book trust ed the bridge to school improvement it's available on amazon on kindle and print obviously actually the spanish version is about ready to come out and uh, but you can find reviews of the book everywhere you know goodreads amazon anywhere where books are being reviewed and uh, so encourage listeners to, to check that out. Consulting work, you know, it's my side hustle. I am a school of superintendent, but every year I have the opportunity of working with about a half a dozen schools around the world. And if I can be of help to you, very happy to do it. You can find me on LinkedIn, just Dr. Toby Travis, or you can Google me. You'll find me on uh, sites like Trusted Consulting or a Global School Consulting Group and or on Mitchell's podcast page. There you go. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Awesome. Toby, thank you so much for giving up your time today and hopping on. I can tell just from your smile and your personality, you love what you do and you are passionate about students in the next generation. So I want you to continue to do what you do and don't retire anything just yet because I think there's a lot more that the world needs from Toby. So thank you for all you're doing and please continue to uh, do what you're doing. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you. My pleasure.
0: Well, another huge shout out and a thank you to Dr. Toby Travis for taking time and being on the podcast today. I love what he's doing. I love what's happening at Village Christian Academy, and I'm wishing them nothing but the best as they continue to grow and educate the next generation that's coming behind us. And if you're a school that's listening today and you're struggling to grow enrollment or find ways to connect better with your families or any of that other stuff when it comes to marketing and your online presence, man, I'd love to hear from you. You can check us out online, schoolsuccessmakers.com. That's schoolsuccessmakers.com, or if you're a Facebook user, please join our private Facebook group just for school leaders called School Success Makers. That's School Success Makers, a private Facebook group, of course, on Facebook. Dr. Toby Travis is in there. I'm personally in there, and we'd love to see you in there as well. We'll be here next time with another amazing guest as usual on the School Success Podcast. We'll see you then.